Time to talk college football right now with Matt Brown. He writes for the intercollegiate.com, Extra Points newsletter, lives in Chicago in Big Ten country, and he joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Matt, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on today. Thanks for coming on. Did you find this news of the first couple leagues uh, going to a conference-only season surprising? Do you think they would hold off on it for a while? Did you think it would come to this? How 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 big a breaking news was this to you? Yeah, I, I, I thought this was definitely in the works. I've heard a couple whispers that the Big Ten was considering this year for a while, but the timing definitely caught me off guard. There, there were certainly some administrators who thought that all of the, the power conferences were going to make some kind of unified decision. Uh, it made more sense for some more FCS leagues to announce that they were going to either postpone or cancel football, and I expect that to happen this week. So the timing was a little bit surprising, but the fact that schools would decide to do this, um, that makes sense to me. Mark Harlan came out on Twitter, University of Utah Athletic Director, and somebody asked him about uh, the BYU series. So, and obviously that uh, looking with the Pac-12 only playing conference games this year, that they wouldn't play that game. So somebody asked him for for next season, would Utah get the home game as far as that goes? Because the last game was played in Provo, and Harlan's response was, well, actually they would just continue it as it is, so BYU next year would get a home game. Uh, do you know as far as the Big 12? Because there's a number of Big 10. I mean, there's a number of conference or uh, out-of-conference games that they all have, obviously, that they have contracts with. And so yep. it's not just uh, one game. It's multiple games. Do you think that they would have the same idea? So next season, if Michigan State played whomever and the game was not scheduled to be in East Lansing, they would continue the schedule as is next year, or they make alterations to it? Um, this is going to vary for every single school. It's going to depend on their legal department. It's going to depend on some of their own institutional financial needs. I, I think for some of these Big Ten schools, and their partnerships with BYU or some of these Pac-12 schools, it's going to be a lot harder to just roll it over next year like BYU and, and Utah can. They're, they're playing just about every year. You have a really deep relationship with uh, the two athletic staffers there, and you have state legislative um, pressure to continue playing that game, um, where that isn't really the case with, say, Michigan State-BYU. So one of the really challenging things that these athletic departments are going to have to navigate the next couple of weeks beyond trying to figure out, okay, what does my 2021-2022 what schedule look like? Um, it's also going to be, what are my legal obligations to all of these teams that I just canceled with? Because you're right, uh, they, there's a lot of contract language in there. there are, there's usually some kind of buyout fee that might have to be uh, handled. And the Big Ten schools, even though they're, they're pretty wealthy, um, with the exception of Rutgers right now, nobody wants to pay that full fee. Um, and so there's going to be a lot, a lot of negotiation, whether that means just rolling those games over to next year, rolling them over a little bit farther along, giving somebody an extra home game, anything to avoid having to pay a million three, million four cash fee right up front. Um, but in terms of any kind of standard, standardized response, like I wouldn't look for that. It's going to vary a ton by school. So do you think these other three Power Five leagues are going to hold on to their schedules, or do you think they're going to go conference only as well? I think everybody's going to go conference only. And to be completely, to be completely honest with you, I think everyone's going to go conference only as, as a step towards eventually canceling or postponing this football season. The, the, the medical data, particularly in Big 12 and SEC country right now, 
has a lagging effect. So if things look bad now, they're almost assuredly going to continue to look bad in two weeks. Um, and a lot of the, the, the factors that have to go into place here with student safety and, not, and for academic safety, coach safety, uh, staffer safety, the people who are sanitizing these fields, we're not really any closer to getting good answers there than we were back in May. And so this is, this is a, a kind of Hail Mary desperation step to try and salvage football rather than anything that I, I think should give people particular confidence. So I know that there's a lot of fans in your footprint that are looking at this and, and getting really angry or freaking out, like, you know, how dare the Pac-12 cancel games with BYU? Do you have to travel to Tucson now instead of the school that's 60 miles away? Look, it's all going to be moot, <laughs> I think, in about four or five weeks. Um, I, this, this is a, certainly a step of things to come. So then that would obviously impact Notre Dame as far as that goes. If there were to be games, what do you think Notre Dame would do? Yeah, there's, there's been multiple ACC administrators who have you know, told Pete reporters in their footprint that, look, if we're going conference only, we're going to incorporate Notre Dame. Um, the, the, the specific game that I think still floated by a couple of times is that Notre Dame would play Miami, Florida. Um, there are enough ACC schools that have lost out-of-conference opponents right now that they would just squat in Notre Dame. There's obviously broadcaster interest in doing that. Um, and that's one of the things that they're modeling right now. I don't know if they're going to come up with a, an ACC-specific schedule with Notre Dame before external events force them into something a little bit more drastic. But like the idea that Notre Dame's going to be stuck playing BYU and Liberty for 10 weeks in a, in a weird quarantine season, like that, that's simply not going to happen. The Athletic has a story out about some elite players, and there's uh, different stuff from different agents about how many elite players it might be, 10, 20, uh, maybe more than that, uh, skipping this season. They don't think it's going to happen. They know if they sign with an agent, uh, they get paid living expenses right away. And certainly if you're the top 10 or 20 players, you don't want to mess up your first-round draft status. Trevor Lawrence Probably couldn't mess up his first-round draft status unless there was a major injury. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with the elite players? Yeah, this, this is a fascinating question to watch over the next couple of months because this is, this is why you see such a variance in willingness to entertain spring football from Division One schools. You talk to schools in the MAC or, in, I think, in the Mountain West, you'll, you know, they'll tell you both on and off the record, hey, this is something we should seriously consider. Like, this is way better than not playing football. But if you're Ohio State... If you're Alabama or Clemson, if the NFL doesn't move the date of their NFL draft, which does not look like it's going to happen, you could be missing a third or maybe even more of your starting lineup. They're simply not going to play. And what I've been told is it isn't just the surefire first or second round draft choices. It's any blue chip recruit who has NFL draft eligibility coming out. Look, they've already got a bunch of films. Um, They don't want to risk an injury because an injury can knock them down multiple rounds. Um, so then, if you're an elite program, that might mean that you're suddenly starting a bunch of freshmen and redshirt freshmen, and it's not really super attractive. So, you know, as a college football fan, you might look at the spring and think this might be the most wide open season ever. Like, this is really your big chance for a non blue blood to kind of sneak in like a 1990 um, and make the playoff. But it's, so much of that's going to depend on what all these schools legislatively decide to do. And yeah, if you're, if you're in a weak program with a ton of NFL draft talent, you have a big interest in, in not playing in the spring for this exact reason. I think a lot of people are not going to play. 
We saw this recruiting season in the spring that it was done virtually without many, any visits and without coaches flying all over the place. The financial ramifications obviously are significant if there's even a loss of one game. Do you think, have you heard anything as far as maybe changing these rules and going more to a cost-saving measure as far as recruiting goes? You know, that, that's interesting. There's been a couple of schools that were having this conversation even before Corona about trying to uh, handle travel a little bit more responsibly. Now, there's a reason a lot of these G5 schools you try to do as much of their recruiting either you know, on campus or in-state at some of these camps so they don't have to fly to Florida every other week. But that is a, a significant expense. Um, I don't know if, we, if this whole thing can be done remotely, though. And it's, it's going to be really weird in the spring. You're going to have most of the junior college systems playing football in the spring. And, you know, I, I think for programs in this particular footprint who, re, who rely on JUCO systems or rely on kids that aren't four-star players by their sophomore year in high school, you really need that evaluation. You need to see them on tape lots of times. You probably need to see them on tape against something other than their local high school competition. And switching to a purely remote situation or mostly remote, I think is going to potentially take away scholarship opportunities for some of those kids. If you live in Dade County, uh, or you live in, in the Metroplex in, in Dallas, you're going to have a lot more opportunities to get that film, and maybe you don't necessarily have to go to every single camp uh, to, to, get, to get recruited. And maybe that's not really the case if you live in St. George or if you live in Idaho. Um, so that's, that's something I, I hope doesn't really come to fruition. There's going to be a lot of pretty draconian cost-saving um, measures that are going to go into place over the next year all over athletic departments, whether that's regional scheduling, whether that's dropping some Olympic sports, whether that's some pretty significant reductions in coaching and uh, coaching salaries and staff sizes, I think schools are going to want to do all of that stuff before doing things that they think will make it harder for them to recruit and compete. Matt Brown joining us. He writes for the intercollegiate.com Extra Points uh, newsletter. Lives in Chicago and Big Ten country, but is dropping St. George and Idaho knowledge. Good work, Matt. Very nice on the local geography. And you got... You know where all the truck stops are on I-15, clearly. you got this thing mapped out. I'm curious, with all this, uh, with recruiting being so different, now now the number of transfers has been growing anyway, but is it about to go off yep. the charts for a couple reasons? One, some of the biggest schools are going to see that they missed on some kids, and uh, they've got some kids that they want to run off, basically. And some kids who are really good get overlooked and are at lower-level schools, and quite frankly, they want to play in some brighter lights and some bigger stadiums. So for, for those reasons, and maybe some others I'm missing, do you think we're about to see a massive wave of transfers when things get back to quote-unquote normal in, what, a year or two? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. In fact, I think you'd probably start to see that even earlier than that, right? Like, Ivy League's not playing fall sports, and they don't offer redshirt years. They don't offer graduate transfers. So if you've got eligibility left and you're about to graduate from Dartmouth, you're hitting that portal right now. And that's going to be... You know, I think there's a lot of really good FCS and even some SBS quality players in that league. I would expect the Patriot League and probably the Pioneer League to follow suit in the next couple of days. That's going to put some kids in the portal. Uh, but you're right. And I think this is, this is the phenomenon you're describing, I think, is even more true kind of the farther down the recruiting totem pole that you go. If you're a program that recruits heavily from JUCO ranks or from some of these developmental players, well, if you're a kid that suddenly has to do all the schooling online for an entire year and you were in academic risk beforehand that you're coming out of a JUCO, I think there's a, a higher chance that you're not going to be able to qualify um, academically for the NCAA because you're not going to have access to some of that same supplemental resources 
uh, that you had before. You're going to have a lot of misvaluations for people that don't have a, a lot of the same resources. And you're going to have a lot of people transferring for all kinds of reasons. People are going to want to stay closer to home. Uh, people are, are, are going to want to change positions. There's, there's going to be assistant coaching attrition all over the place. Yeah. And then you add all of that to the fact that NCAA administrators have been looking at liberalizing transfer rules generally over the last year. They're trying to go to Congress right now to get an antitrust exemption, and that might be something that Congress tells them they have to do. Like, you have to start letting kids transfer more freely if we're going to help you out of here. So I would not be shocked at all in the next you know, year or two. I don't want to say free agency because I think that has a bunch of negative connotations that don't make sense, but are you going to see even more kids across college football try to change schools? Yes, just like I would think that a lot of students generally are going to be wanting to change schools. Well, Matt, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us to talk a little college football. It's, it's my pleasure. There's, there's no shortage of things going on, fellas. Thanks <laughs> for having me on.